0: Hey, how are you? I'm Craig Doyle and this is the Rugby Tonight podcast. We're on the road again, a very special one for you this week because we've come over to the Republic of Ireland, to Dublin in fact, and one of the most famous schools, certainly when it comes to rugby in the entire country. We're at Blackrock College. The alma mater of myself, but more importantly, the alma mater of the man beside me, Mr. Brian O'Driscoll, who of course played junior cup rugby here, senior cup rugby, and it didn't seem it took very many years after that to go and play for Ireland to make a name for himself on the international stage. We're in the library here in the school, and the last time I was here was for my, um, my French oral exam, which is uh, not today or yesterday. Brian, when <laughs> was the last time you were
1: here? How did that go? Uh, oui, oui, très bien, merci, <laughs> merci. Yeah, I, I think probably the same. I, I can't remember... Um, being too much of a bookworm in here um, yeah probably Irish oral which didn't go as well as your French oral by the signs of things. Rugby was such an important
0: part of this school obviously I was completely rubbish you know, and only really got to watch the good guys from afar but we all played it and it was all part of our lives here in the college but we looked wistfully at the wall all the walls through the school and it goes back to you know I think the early 1900s of senior cup teams that won trophies and really familiar names the likes of Brendan Mullins who I was a big fan as I'm sure you were too, Hugo McNeil up to the Luke Fitzgeralds, Gary Ringrose, yourself of course. What were your memories of playing rugby here and, and just the history of rugby in this school?
1: Yeah I think that's, that's the big thing and I think it is the history as soon as you come into the school and you become a pupil I think the realisation that it's such an integral part of the school. Um, I don't know how many cups, senior cups, they've won now, but it's it's certainly, yeah it's, I think, yeah, it's up in the high sixties anyway. And um, I think, I think Jordy Murphy, who's uh, now playing with Leinster, has a tattoo of sixty-six on his arm. Um, Suggesting that he he was—he wouldn't—not in 1966, (laughs) but he won the 66th Senior Cup. Maybe he's just a big Beatles fan. (laughs) He had a big, uh, a big uh, school holiday in the of that year. (laughs) But um, so yeah, so obviously, as soon as you come into the school, there's such a focus on it, and um, if you're not playing it, you're supporting it, and particularly when you when you get to to those pivotal ages of Junior Cup, which is under 15, and then Senior Cup in your final year, which is under 18 and how the whole school goes down to the stadium down in Donnybrook or in the RDS or wherever the game might be, and you get thousands of people watching schoolboys play rugby. At times, it's not the best rugby you've ever seen, but it doesn't matter. Um, it might be in the depths of, of winter, but it's, about, it's almost a, uh, an upside version of a cult, of you going down and chanting all the same songs, and it's a, an incredible team spirit and, and school spirit that I think... Um, really is associated with the school and not many can match it, I don't think.
0: No, it's a very, a very very special thing, I almost 20,000 at the senior cup finals. Actually, also, which I really liked was back in the day, because we had a senior cup in our year as well, but those lads would come out and watch us play in our third and fourth team cup matches as well. Mm. There was an understanding that everyone was trying their hardest, which I thought was really important,
1: yeah. And that's the thing, you know, um, my early years, there was five and six teams in, 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 in my year, you know. I've, I had a 20-year reunion recently, But there was 195 uh, pupils in my year, 110 turned up at the the school reunion. So I think there's a big um, loyalty and allegiance to the school even well after you've left. Um, we could talk about
0: old school days for ages but there's so much to talk about a brilliant opening round in the Champions Cup a few shocks a few surprises and some brilliant performances Saracens of course grabbing all the headlines they just look absolutely brilliant this season we'll work through the pools in just a moment but I want to talk about some of the news going around at the moment and Ireland features heavily in a Welshman's uh, decision to no longer coach the Lions Warren Gatland announcing this week that his Lions days are over he's had a fabulous fabulous uh, success rate with the Lions of course over the years but I think it's just all got too much for him and we're not just talking about Sean O'Brien's public comments and I believe they have spoken since but maybe he was just a bit worn out by the way his native New Zealanders dealt with him when he was over on the tour as well. It, it seems like it's been a tough old time for him.
1: Yeah, it, you know, I, I was obviously down in New Zealand when um, the tour was going on only for for the few days pre-empting the, the first test and then only for a day after the second but over that period of nine, ten days. It was some press that I've never seen before. It was a different level. It's the sort of stuff that we're not used to in the UK and Ireland, where obviously it was front and back page, but you know, caricatures of, uh, of Gat, um taking the piss out of him, it was massively derogatory. Very um, little of it um, was um, positive. And I'm sure I can understand, particularly when you're going back to your native country, and you know, you're sure, you're not expecting the warmest of welcomes, but it was quite the opposite, I think. It was cold and brutal at times, and I can understand how um, he had enough of it. He's not going to get that in South Africa if he decided to go with the Lions in, in four years' time, but... You know, maybe enough is enough. He's been on uh, three Lions tours now, maybe he's had a flavour of all three countries and it's time to, to park that part of, of his coaching career and he's been a hugely successful Lions coach. Obviously the disappointment in '09 not managing to win a series but winning one test, winning in 2013 and then getting a draw in 2017. So there's no doubt that you know, he's been a big part of the Lions in, uh, in, in recent history and you have to respect his decision, but um, it's, it's obviously it's taken its toll. He's just he's been he's fed up with um, with the, some of the critiques that he's had to take. And um, good luck to him.
0: But if you're coaching the lines, if you're a head coach, if you're managing the lines, whatever it is, you've got a collection of people who are all most of them first choice for their country. So everybody is right there. It's the very, very elite, the best of the absolute best. Whereas. With a club or even a national coach, you're going to get a few guys who are just delighted to be involved. You're really happy to be in the mix, and you know that's the real highlight—just getting their kit bag at the lines. Everybody wants to play in that Test squad, so managing those egos. Let's be honest, and you've got to have an ego. You've got to be confident to compete at that level. Must be difficult. Is that why people get upset? Is it that kind of hard edge from Gatland and that?
1: drive and that ego from the players that doesn't mix sometimes. Listen, you've got a group of whatever they took 42 or 43 players plus the you know the extras that came uh, in throughout the tour. Um, you've got a group of super achievers there, the best in their nation and the you know the best 5 6 maybe 10 within each of the teams. Um, so you have natural board winners, guys that are used to being selected and all of a sudden they find themselves in a more competitive environment. Uh, one where they have to fight tooth and nail for for a place. They've got to impress very quickly on a tour, otherwise they'll be cast to a side, as as you saw, with a number of players that didn't really get out of the blocks early on and as a result didn't see too much game time towards the latter part of the tour. So it's it's a pretty difficult thing from a player perspective. I can only imagine how difficult it must be from a coach because you also have to remember you have to... hold on to the allegiances of those players that you're going to go back and coach again. And so in the 50-50 calls, it's hard to... To break away from the fact of going to the players, A, that have done it for you in the past, players that you know have stood up to the plate when, and delivered when they needed to. So he goes back to his, his Welsh players when needs be. So it's, but then you've got other coaches. You've got Steve Worthwick Borthwick coming in and trying to put the English players, best foot forward, Andy Farrell now with Ireland, him promoting the best of the defensive players within the Irish setup. So you've got all a, a very interesting dynamic at that coach's table of everyone trying to um, push their own players. And yet, you can only pick 15 quality players from a touring party of of 42 or 43. Very, very difficult thing to do. And nice headaches, but I'd say by the end of it, after three tours, I'd say you probably have your fill of it.
0: No, I hear what you're saying. I'm reading between the lines. I'm sorry, you're not over 2013 (laughs) yet. (laughs) But you know, you you know what that's like. He he had to do that with you, and ultimately they went on to win the test. Big decisions.
1: One thing I would would say. So Gats. I have a huge amount to be thankful for because Gats gave me my first cap in 99 and he put his neck on the block. I was only a 20-year-old, un- unknown. So That's here he, in Ireland, he of course. It. People may forget he coached yeah, so, Ireland. Yeah, so out. I didn't play for Wales <laughs> 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 my first cap. <laughs> yeah, I hadn't even played for my province at that stage. So he really went out on a limb. Um, and then, you know, I got to experience it in 2009. And 2013, he made a big call. And obviously at the time, I was devastated and... Um, I thought he made the, right, or the, the wrong call, but history will tell you that no, he didn't. They went and smashed um, Australia in, in the third test, um, scoring 40 odd points against them. Two centres played well, and the, you know the rest is history. So, um, you know he's never he's never been shy of making the big call, and. I think, you know, he obviously had some big calls to make in this more recent Lions tour. You know, Peter O'Mahony being named captain and Warburton on the bench. And then you lose that test and all of a sudden Peter O'Mahony's gone from the 23. But yet they won the second test. They drew the third test. Um, So is that an incorrect decision? No. Only retrospectively can you look at it and decide, no, that was a good decision because he got the outcome that that he was looking for. And you have to take sentiment and emotion out of all of these things and... And, and play what you feel is your best side. And, you know, he's made a lot of correct decisions in that regard, as much as it pains me to say so, in, you know, having, having been excluded. He may have painted himself into a bit of a corner with his new law. It says that
0: players who have over 60 cap for Wales can go off and play their rugby elsewhere and still play for their country. Uh, under that, you've got a bit of a problem. Um, a few players are going to be affected quite badly from this. Reese Webb is the standout headline from that because he'd made his call to move to Toulon before this rule change came out and now he's in a bit of a quandary. Um, his Well, let's talk about the
1: law change first of all. Do you think it's the right thing to do? Well, I, I think in the long term it is the right thing to do. I think y- you look at other countries and they've done, um, they've done similar things. Obviously Australia, I think it, uh, it's a, in a very similar boat. I don't know, is it 50 or 60 caps there where they're not picking their... Yeah, 60 there. 60 yeah. as well. So, you know, New Zealand player, uh, players aren't picked when they play outside of New Zealand. Uh, England, obviously, well documented that they can't go except for exceptional circumstances which they haven't delved into. So I, I think in the longer term it's probably smart, it means that their regions have more chance of surviving at domestic and European level because more homegrown talent is going to stay put and try and pick up dual contracts, but I I think the only issue that continues to lie there is the disparity between the financials of the regional um, setup versus what you are still being offered by the top clubs in France and in in England. I think where The welsh setup differs from ireland ireland is more competitive financially yes they look after their players and player welfare is a massive component and when you're not playing more than 30 games a year it means you're probably getting a year or two on the end of your career so players have to look that way but when your financials could be doubled in another country it's a very very difficult decision for players you know top quality players like reese webb to stay but i do feel that What's going to hurt them in the short term of of, of excluding players like that will, in fact, help them in the longer term. It's difficult to look at that right now because you're losing a line, you're losing a top-class player. But yet, what you might gain in years to come will hopefully supersede that.
0: Tricky, though, for Reese Webb, it's a really difficult one because the guy wants to play for his country. But, I mean, reportedly, what, 600 grand a year with Toulon? I mean it's hard to turn that down isn't it? You know you can make especially
1: at his age you know he could sort out his financial life now in, over the next 3 years. And i am impossible to turn down something that's reported that it's double the amount. So 600,000 1.8 uh, 8 over 3 years then there in, in, in anyone's terms, that's, that's huge money. And he's 28 years of age. He's got a young family. He's got to look at securing their future. Um, but I think there's a lot of ambiguity in, in, all, of, in all of that. I think it, there's, there's lots of he said, she said, uh, WRU saying that they had suggested to um, Reese's um, agent, as uh, it Derwin Jones, that this law might come into effect. Might doesn't quite cut it, though it's either in effect or it's not. So I think with that level of ambiguity, I think Reese Webb might be one of the lucky ones that still, on a technicality, still finds himself squeezed back in because there was that uncertainty around it. I think anyone else from here on in signing uh, overseas contracts will be excluded, whereas I just get the sense that because there'll be public outcry, because there's um, there's not the same clarity with all the other players that have gone beforehand, I just feel as though on the basis of that he might squeeze back in.
0: I think it's sometimes unfair though, do you not think? Particularly I think in the Ireland setup where you know once you're in the system you're very well cared for but you could be sitting behind say someone like Leinster, you're a back rower. I mean there's a long queue of just fantastic back rowers there. You're expected to bide your time, wait for the opportunity to come up. But you can be a good enough standard to go and play your, your rugby in the Aviva Premiership or over in France. And sometimes it's not just about money, sometimes it's about game time, first team game time and starting. Do you not think
1: there needs to be a little bit of leeway to
0: let these guys just go and do that sometimes?
1: Yeah, I I agree. I agree. I think to to that very point, I think you you see players going overseas from from Ireland and um, some of them as a result... Put themselves in the pecking order to play internationally because of their outstanding performances you know be it in the premiership or or, or further afield i think a, a prime example of that is someone like tye Byrne who's gone to uh scarlet's who's now coming back to munster next year but i remember playing with him in um, the fr- provincial setup in leinster he was a quality player a good player not an outstanding player did i think that he was going to get to the to the heights that he's achieved recently i didn't but he's gone and done that and now he's attracted um, uh, Munster's advances to bring him back home and there's there's no doubt whatsoever that he's going to be an international over the course of the next year or 18 months. He wouldn't have had that opportunity if if he remained an academy player and a bit part player in Leinster because he just wasn't getting his chance. So yes, there are exceptions to the rule. With that, And there has to be some sort of leeway to give younger players an opportunity to get game time, get that valued experience to be able to then go and progress you know, as players and as characters and as individuals within teams.
0: It'd be remiss of me not to mention another former Blackrock College student when we, we dive into that area. Leo Cullen, of course, played his rugby here in school before going off and doing a really good job over in leicester tigers captioning leicester tigers at times then coming back captioning Le- uh, leinster to heineken cup wins and of course now he's the big man there so it can work out and you can gain valuable experience on the subject of bosses when moran gatlin leaves wales in 2019 a lot of the chat recently been, has been about Di young Their uh, director of rugby at Wasps maybe getting the big job. Hasn't been going well, though, for Wasps at the moment. They're on a bad run in the Aviva Premiership. Things got even worse in the first game in Pool 1, the first game of this year's Champions Cup, on last Friday night up in Belfast. And and Ulster beating them in a a funny old game, but still, uh, although both sides nervy, Wasps didn't look great, did they?
1: No, they didn't. There's no doubt they they are absolutely decimated with injuries. I think you look at the issues that they're having and the personnel, it's in key positions. I think you look at, at Danny Cipriani... He's gone for a few months' time. Kyle Eastman had been doing a great job before his long-term, in, uh, more most recent injury. Jimmy Goppert's just come back in. Dan Robs has just come back in, but there's a multitude of of other players um, that are that are still on the outskirts. Um, Guy Thompson has been a big player for them, um, and uh, you know any team, no matter what the strength and depth, when you lose that calibre of player, it's going to be very difficult to survive. On a single basis, let alone in, in two different um, competitions. We've, it's been well documented um, their struggles within the Premiership. What Europe offered was, offered was a, a new opportunity to be able to um, start again. And unfortunately, they, you know, they've, they've started very poorly and not gaining even in a way uh, a, a losing bonus point. So this, become, this, this weekend's game against Quinns becomes um, an all-or-nothing game. You know, They can pretty much say goodbye to their European hopes if they don't go and get at least four points from it um, and, and possibly more. But you know, the type of characters that Wasp will become over the last number of years, they'll enjoy um, the pressure being put on them. They'll, they'll enjoy being back in Coventry. It's a place that has been very good to them over the last 18 months. Um, and Dai Young, even though his back's a little bit against the wall now, um, he's putting his best foot forward. So expect a big display from them. It was a good display from Ulster in the second half, that's for sure. And
0: Charles Piatow absolutely setting the Kingspan Stadium alight. He was brilliant. His last year, of course, with Ulster, before he goes off for that, I think it's just 900 grand a year something like that with Bristol. Uh, Small money, really. Um, They're going to have to drain and milk and squeeze every single drop of performance out of him before he goes. La Rochelle this coming weekend for Ulster, a tough old
1: task. Um, We'll talk about La Rochelle in a moment, but where do you think Ulster are at the moment? Uh, Um... I think they'll be delighted, obviously getting um, getting their win uh, in that cagey affair against Wasps. I think they had um, there was a, a big three or four minute um, period of the game um, just before the hour mark where they had two quick tries in, in succession, and that blew the game um, right open. Having having trailed Wasps at, at half time, um, Charles Piutau. Is the catalyst for a lot of good things in all the teams that he's been in back in New Zealand, um, in Wasps two years ago, in Ulster last year and this year. But I think um, his combination in the back three with Jacob Stockdale is what everyone's really beginning to pay attention to. This is a young player that's just come through um, the academy from underage level, got capped during the summer, and he is a real talent. And I think he f- finds himself in a pretty short space of time, now one of the front runners to start for Ireland in, uh, in November. And the link play between the two of them, not just at the weekend, but beforehand in, in a Pro 14 game, they're scoring some magnificent tries as a combination. So he needs to learn as much as he can in the space of time while Charles Prietao is there um, and, and soak that information from him and then have the ability to be able to pass on to the younger players within that Ulster Academy that begin to come through over the next few years as well. Tough job against La Rochelle Um,
0: We knew he excelled in the Pro 14 Sorry, I get so mixed up with Pro 14s and Top 14s. La Rochelle excelled in the Top 14 last year. They had Harlequins at the Stoop in their opening round and you look at that Harlequins team, so many familiar names Joe Marler, you had James Horwell in there, Chris Robshaw, Danny Kerr to name but a few, you know, Jamie Roberts Mike Brown, full of internationals. Not so many familiar names but really good names in the La Rochelle team. Interesting to see Ryan Lamb in there. He's been in five different Aviva Premiership clubs but it's seems to suit him in France, that kind of Maverick style of play. But Geoffrey Dumouroux is a guy who really stood out for you in the centres. And they were perhaps more of an attacking force than you expected?
1: Yeah, do you know what, I think they were incredibly clinical. They took their opportunities brilliantly. Um, Reading a little bit in in today's Irish times, understanding La Rochelle a little bit more. um, You know, they've obviously got a real community atmosphere. You get the sense that they're almost like the exeter of the top 14 where you know they've 10,000 season ticket holders. I think they've had a sell-out for the last 28 or 29 home games. Um, I think they said they have somewhere close to 800 sponsors. So it, it's everyone is helping out to be able to um, bring the best out of the club. They've come through from the Pro D2 only a couple of years ago, and to get themselves into a semi-final and, and unfortunately lose it to the mighty Toulon last year will be a disappointment. But they've shown some of that form throughout all of last year into the early parts of this year. And to go and get a, an away win in your first ever European Cup game is pretty impressive stuff. Qu- Quins are only recently back into the competition themselves, but it's the manner in which they took their chances. There's some sloppy defenses at times, don't get me wrong with, with Quins, and they'll be disappointed. But good sides go on the road and pick up something. They picked up a winning bonus point try as well. Five points away from home, knowing what your home record is like, is, um, is pretty exciting stuff.
0: So, looking at Pool 1 at the moment, La Rochelle, they've got five points. They've got that tri-bonus and victory as well, of course, over Harlequins. Ulster sitting there in second and four, which means Quins have one point from that losing bonus point, Wasps on zero, which means on Sunday night, 5pm, BT Sport 2 and 4K, ultra-high definition, Wasps against Harlequins is our first, essentially, knockout game already in round two of this year's Champions Cup.
1: Yeah, do it, you know what? Historically, I think a couple of sides have managed to get through to not knockout stages having lost their first two games but it's not to be recommended. Uh, Quins have managed to uh, pick up a losing bonus point in the first game um, but Wasps back at home will be a difficult prospect. Quins will be licking their lips the knowledge that they'll never get Wasps at a better time than this so if they want to advance they have to go not, and take, a, not take a losing bonus point they've got to go to Coventry and get an away win but you got just get the sense that Wasps are due a small bit of luck. It hasn't been good to them the last four or five weeks. They've lost five on the bounce, I think it is. And they need something to turn their season around, and maybe Sunday afternoon is that. Pool 2. We have Saracens, we have Claremont, we have Ospreys and we
0: have Northampton Saints. Currently Saracens, five points, top of the table there. Claremont, four, didn't get the try bonus against Ospreys on the weekend. Ospreys fighting really, really well. 21-26 had finished that game and uh, they got themselves a losing bonus point. Saints getting nothing, absolutely trashed. Absolutely trashed by Saracens and we were really surprised because that happened in round one of the Premiership. First half, I think seven tries scored against them and we felt it wouldn't happen again. Bigger scoreline
1: against Saracens this time out. Really disappointing for Jim Allender. Record home defeat for them. Um, I think in um, full stop, not just in Europe, in, in you know, across the board, to concede 57 points. Particularly will be more, even more disappointing because of the history of six weeks ago, the first game of the season in, in Twickenham and taking such a pasting. So there would have been huge motivation throughout the week um, to right those wrongs and make sure that the same issues didn't come up. But I think they actually came across a, an even more impressive um, Saracens team. They, it, it's the most complete performance I've seen by a European team for some for some time now. And what I liked most about it was The fact that they never took their foot off their throat—they they they just kept on driving it home. They scored first after half time, and that's sometimes when you've got a bit of a cricket uh, score lead at half time, you know. Ten minutes after um, the rev up by the opposition, you tend to, you know, to succumb to one or two scores. That wasn't the case. Saracen's kept putting, driving at home, kept making it difficult for, for Northampton. And even though Northampton crossed the whitewash, I think it was once, Saracens scored four tries in each half. So an equally impressive performance in attack and defence. Just exceptional. And if they continue to play like that over the course of the tournament, I simply don't know who can live with them. In the Aviva Premiership with Saracen, sometimes we do see
0: them back off a little bit when they have a decent lead. They run a rotation policy there all the time, so you know guys just rotate. They don't argue about it. But when they do unload the bench, maybe in the final quarter, it can just change a little bit. They look less devastating. In Europe, Alex Anderson said during the week, when it comes to the Champions Cup, we pick our best team. That's it. No rotation. Which means when the bench is unloaded, it's as good. There's no change. That's what's amazing about it. They don't change what they're doing. But you've got guys like Maru I told you we talk about quite a lot, Owen Farrell. But the likes of Cock in the front row has been outstanding for them. Busily working away, doing his thing. Good hands,
1: so many huge carries over the course of the weekend. It's not just about the star names with Saris, is it? Not at all. I think that's what you see in particular with those star names. You come back into an environment and you're just another number. I think what's most impressive about about Saracens as a whole is the willingness of everyone to buy in as an equal. And I think that's become, that becomes very apparent. You can see it in their celebrations. You can see it in the enjoyment they have with one another. There's no, there's no cliques of people getting particularly overjoyed because one individual scored versus someone else. When Tidehead Props score tries, everyone gets excited. And um, I think Kaka's been excellent. But do you, you think all of that with with some of the injuries that they have too. You think of it with no Billy Vanapola, no Michael Rhodes, Scott Berger just coming back from injury, Scott Brits was, was missing for a couple of weeks there with uh, a removed appendix, and it just is totally seamless to them um, as to what personnel comes in because the quality of their, their, um, their, their squad is excellent, but I think the quality of their culture is what really stands them apart. The Ospreys did surprise us on the weekend, though, against Claremont. I thought
0: they were really good for it, actually. Um, first nine, ten minutes, Claremont were all over them. Ospreys fought so hard. I, they, could have, they probably could have won that game at, at times. Um, great performance. What can they do against Saracens at Allianz Park? Don't forget, it's that 4G or 5G or whatever they call it now pitch.
1: It's a fast track, and Saracens know it well. It's really difficult to know how to play against Saracens. You know, lots of teams have tried different things. you, you know, playing wide, wide, wide you know, play a, a, you know, a high risk, a high reward, um, offloading game, um, play nothing in your, in your own half, play like Saracens, um, you know, make sure you're, you're competitive in defence. It's impossible to know how best to, to beat Saracens. If you try and imitate them, you know, they, they, they will blow you out of the water. So I think the, the best way to do it is, first of all, is hope the Saracens have a slightly off day. I think you need that because they're so much superior than everyone else on on their day. Uh, it's almost you compare you compare them to you know, the All Blacks in their pump when they're when they're hot. It's very difficult for anyone to live with them. But I think as well, you know, you just have to make sure you grow into the game and you stay with them. I think as soon as Saracens keep the scoreboard ticking over three six nine, they score a try and all of a sudden how are you 15-16 points down and you've done not a whole lot wrong and then that's when their confidence grows and that's where their passes start sticking and they play their 15-man game and all of a sudden you haven't played that badly and you've lost by 35. That's the beauty of how good Saracens can be but you just need to stay with them as long as you possibly can. If you can get some sort of lead, be defensively incredible for for a full 80-minute performance, We saw some losses um, think Quinns last year managed to get a great win against them. It was just because they just kept them in front and then were defensively, were like superheroes. So you need to just marry those two things and get a little bit of lady luck along the way.
0: It's their read of the
1: opposition throughout a
0: game, though, that's brilliant as well. I mean, I guess I, I've heard it described as them attacking with a full petrol tank, and they'll go through 10 phases, 11, 12 phases, and as the tank get lo- gets low, they're not actually thinking about whether the try is going to come. They're thinking, if we get turned over now, our tank is low to scramble a defence. So they kick to a corner, play percentage rugby, and reset and refuel, essentially. So it's that clever decision-making about where they are in the middle of that game. I, I don't know how you un- unravel them.
1: How? so difficult because you've got... Players with the level of experience. Like Owen Farrell's not an old, an old guy. He's 26 years of, 25, 26 years of age. You know, 50 plus caps. Played on two Lions tours. Already won premierships and and Europe. And is just such a cool customer. He, you, you know, European Player of the Year. And um, by a country mile in, in my opinion. And and Richard Wigglesworth pulling the strings at nine as well. Um, you look at someone like Ben Spencer that can't get get a look in. Um, because of the quality of of your nine who's 35 or 36 years of age, I think it speaks volumes for having the generals in, in the right areas to be able to keep that smooth machine ticking forward. And we've got incredible ball carriers, carriers in Cruz and Natoji and, and the aforementioned, you know, Vunapolas and, um, and Michael Rhodes, these guys. And then you have other guys like... You know, like Fagalow uh, coming off the bench when Cock gets injured, and then he's stealing ball over I- in Rooks. You know, he got a couple of penalties against Wasps two years ago from just pinching ball. That's your tight head, your sub tight head prop. <laughs> it's ridiculous. So when you look <laughs> at the actual caliber and Skull Brits, you know, who had a man of the match performance against Northampton at, at the start of the season, these are these are just like top class players playing with so much confidence and so much cohesion that it's so difficult to disrupt them. And of course you can see Saracen's take on Ospreys up at Allianz Park.
0: Seven forty five kickoff on BT Sport two this Saturday. We're doing that one. We are. Yeah. We are. And it's a nice late kickoff. I go to see the young fella play football in the morning, which is great. So I'll, if I'm late, be,
1: I'll, I'll be able to have six with my son. <laughs> <laughs> and have four, <laughs> and have two. Obviously,
0: we got Claremont-Northampton Saints as well. That's at 3 p.m. on Saturday on BT Sport 2. Northampton have lost at home at the Gardens. It's very, very hard. If you lose your, your, your home games in this competition to go any further, than I have to go over to Claremont. Um, everyone asks the neutrals out there, when will Claremont finally win this tournament? Interesting, first nine minutes, they looked absolutely ruthless against Ospreys, two tries, and then they kind of backed off on the other hand, you talk about Saracens and this killer instinct for eighty minutes. Have Clermont learned how to do that yet? Do you think? Are there
1: any signs of that i, I, I don 't know I think Is that, is that the question mark Claremont? that surrounds Clermont that they, they just do they have just an element of a soft underbelly somewhere there there 's no doubt their rugby capabilities, their athleticism their ability as individuals, but just when the going gets a small bit tough, there's an uncertainty, and I think teams s- smell blood, and they're able to go after them, and credit where credit's due, you, you know, Ospreys have had a miserable start to the season. They'd only won one game prior, prior to that, so to go two tries down within 10 minutes, you thought the writing was on the wall, but they fought back, you know, a couple of great tries from, from Dan Evans, Reese uh, Webb got in for one as well. Um, and only, you know, I think a monster kick from Scott Spedding towards the end of the game actually put the game safe for, for Claremont. So, you know, a lot of a, a lot of positives now to be taken from Ospreys, but Claremont. Um, away from home and at home are a different prospect. So I, I would fear for Northampton this weekend.
0: Some of the students just going past the corridor there. I'm sure I heard one of them say, look, it's Ardlo O'Hanlon pointing at you. <laughs> 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 Another former student of the school. We're in the library Ardle here. Ardlo being interviewed by Eamon de Valera. <laughs> <laughs> Another former people. Just name dropping for fun here. Uh, actually, in this library, they're about to create the Bob Geldof area in here as a former student here and apparently in this very room in the library he got the idea for Live Aid because one of the priests when he was a boarder here showed them um, the Beatles playing live in New York and he went "What? that's crazy you can show a concert live and apparently that's the genesis of it all that's when it all started I but let's get back. that yeah well there you go and uh, let's get back to rugby let's get back to the Champions Cup pool 3 um, interesting pool you got your old team Leinster you got Exeter Chiefs you've got Montpellier and you've got Glasgow um, Leinster were impressive in the weekend, Brian, Montpellier, we weren't quite sure what they'd bring to the party. Really big, physical, physical side, but a good job in Dublin at the RDS on Saturday, and they got themselves a bonus point
1: victory. Got the job done. Um, I don't necessarily think it was vintage Leinster, but um, you have to remember that they were without some very key performers, particularly Sean O'Brien and Johnny Sexton, but you also throw names like Jamie Heaslip and Rob Kearney into the mix. Scott Fardy, I think his wife went into labour the, the night before, so he wasn't involved. He's become a big player for Leinster, so you look at that you know—that calibre of player not involved still to come back, and one or two of the younger guys that have impressed Rory O'Loughlin, another name, has been very good at the early part of the season, so when you look at all of these guys, um, you know, missing out, East and going off after 25 minutes, a, a very impressive display to get four, to score four tries against a, a big Montpellier outfit. Um, and yeah, they're in great shape. Not many sides got try bonuses. I think they're one of three in the, in the first round to get try bonuses. So to start with five against any team, but particularly Montpellier, they'll be really delighted. Yeah, it's, it's interesting with Leinster.
0: All these new names come through all the time. We see them make a name for themselves at Leinster and then usually Ireland is beckoning and I guess the school here Blackrock College has a part to play in that as do so many of the schools here in the, the province of Leinster. Just give people very quickly an idea how it all works. You play your senior club rugby in school and then hopefully get picked up by an academy and, and, and these kids in this school walking around here, they want to play for Leinster
1: ahead of Ireland. That's how it happens. That is. There's, there's, it's, the dynamic has changed from from my days of coming out of here. It was all about Ireland. The focus was with the national team, whereas now, I think it's probably down to accessibility and being able to get to games, um, become a season ticket holder in Leinster and see your heroes every Friday or Saturday. Um, and so a lot of these you know, boys and, 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 and girls with, within um, the, you know, the 12 provinces of, of Leinster have become predominantly um, blue jersey wearers rather than green jersey wearers, and, and likewise down in in the other problems as well in Ulster, Connacht and then and in Munster. So in, in part from a support base Ireland almost plays second fiddle to, to huge numbers of, uh, of rugby supporters. So we leave Blackrock College
0: behind for just a moment and, and, and concentrate on one of the other teams The actual other end of the scale to what happens at Leinster, I guess it's the Exeter Chiefs because it seems to attract so many waifs and strays from other parts of the Premiership and they perform so well there. I think of Thomas Waldrum, top try scorer not just in the Chiefs but in the Premiership a couple of years ago. Ollie Woodburn, playing out of his skin, a cast off from Bath. It's a brilliant place for young guys or older guys to go there and just, I don't know, there's something in the waters down there. Garrett Steenson, he played Ireland under 20s here with the likes of Tommaso Leary, never got picked up again for Ireland. Declan Kidney had no interesting, didn't even come to a training camp, yet goes to the Exeter Chiefs and wins a Premiership title with them and has been outstanding. Maybe that's the key to the Exeter Chiefs. It's this tight-knit family and they know
1: they're in a really good place. That's absolutely the key to them. I think we alluded to it before um, about La Rochelle being the Exeter of France. They've got a really special thing going on there and and maybe not too many superstar names. Um, Jack Nell obviously has catapulted himself into stardom, having um, had, had such a terrific display for the British and Irish Lions in, in the summer. Um, you know, the likes of Luke Cowan-Dickey's been you know, ravaged with injury and probably hasn't achieved quite what he would have hoped to, and likewise um, Slade, um, mixing it between 10, 12 and 13, maybe not really understanding what his best position is yet and just beginning to play himself into a little bit more form. But what their strength is their collective and their willingness to fight for one another. And again, we talk about the culture in Saracens being so good. I think the team ethos is is almost unri- un, un, unrivaled within, uh, within Exeter Chiefs. Whatever Rob Baxter has done, whatever methodology he's using, whatever messaging he's giving to them, they go out and deliver. And they have a very clear picture as to how they want to play the game. They, they can play some very, very exciting stuff um, and... You know, there's there 's guys, there's guys like Phil Dalman who I played against years ago who i 'm a massive fan of i can 't believe he doesn 't have more caps than he, than he has uh, he 's a top quality player, but he, that, those sort of players just fit in brilliantly to the remit of what they 're looking for people that just work their socks off for this community based club and now that they 've gone and won the Premiership for the first time they had the disappointment a few years ago of, of missing out now they 've gone to to achieve the success. Who knows where they can go? Can they push one step further in Europe? That's the big question, and we'll know an awful lot more after, uh, after this weekend.
0: Yeah, I think poor old Phil Domin's biggest problem might have been uh, a metronomic goal kicker called Lee Half, but he <laughs> just couldn't shift him from the Welsh shirt. Um, a big test this weekend for Exeter against Montpellier, but Exeter do have that kind of game plan, as you said, that really will test them. They love a driving mall. They like a nice pick-and-go as well, particularly around the danger zone, and they can offer threats out wide. Enough threats to beat Montpellier away?
1: i think you have to play it smart don't get into too much of an arm wrestle um hopefully from their point of view the conditions will be um they're probably it's the good time to get 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 montpellier get them in december january it'll be heavy down there and and more difficult and, and suit that big montpellier pack whereas exeter will want to move them around certainly in their own half and and up to the 22 but there's no team like exeter to know how to close out a score from a driving line out or from a pick and jam from five or six meters out they don't tend to try it from any further than that but you know what's coming but try and defend against it and they have had so much success in the last few years you know, you talk about waldrum and he's a machine for it over a couple of over the last couple of seasons simmons is a guy that's really stepped up to the plate for them this year and must be pushing hard for for english honors but you saw that um, all three tries last weekend came from pick and jams. And you defend it all week, and your, co- your defensive coach tells you this is what they're going to do, and there's nothing you can do about it. That's how clinical they are, and that's how well-drilled they are. It
0: kind of comes down to maths at the end, doesn't it, that, that pick and jam. At some stage, you're going to be a number down in defence, and they're going to get exploited. as exactly. simple as that. Um, Glasgow-Leinster, quick word on that. If Glasgow are going to do anything against Leinster, it'll be at home on that surface.
1: Yeah, the, the thing about... Uh, Glasgow is, so sometimes in Europe, um, the non-Pro-12 or Pro-14 teams uh, get cut out because they don't realise how difficult a proposition they are in, in uh, Scottson. Um, whereas the Pro-14 teams play against them regularly and they know, you know how good they are and how much they can put sides to the sword there. So, I, you know, we expect a backlash from, from uh, Glasgow. Um, they've got to win themselves. You, you know, we talk about having to win your, your home games. It's really difficult to see where, this, where in a way uh, victory is going to come in this pool. But perhaps Leinster will be sniffing this as one of their opportunities. If they can get a big performance with some of their key individuals back and catch uh, Glasgow um, you know, on, on one of their colder days, maybe this is the, the, the difference between you know, a first and second place position in, in, um, in, the, in the group of death.
0: In pool four, the difference there can be just picking up something away from home. And Munster did well in the weekend. A draw against Cass. Two points in the table. Uh, absolutely crucial for them because they have Racing 92 at home at Thomond Park this weekend. Um, they win that. They are banging the mix of this one, aren't they?
1: They're in great shape. Um, you know, reading the reports, you know, Rassi Erasmus was, was disappointed with the draw. I think... You look back on the whole game, they're probably very lucky not to concede a late penalty for a silly infringement where the referee judged, uh, you know, the ball not to be played in a ruck by Robin Copeland. So on the bigger scheme of everything, they should be probably happy with two points, albeit they want an improved performance. They'll get that this weekend in Thoman Park. Munster and Europe are, are, are a match made in heaven. They just love these big European nights. And... They've lost a few times in, in Thomond Park in, in the course of the last 15 or 20 years. Would you fancy Racing 92 to come over and turn them over? Not for me.
0: And also, a, a, an extra bit of emotion in that one, considering the sad uh, loss of Anthony Foley over in Paris last year. Fabulous documentary this week on in Ireland about Anthony Foley's life. And if you can see it somewhere, I don't know, on Netflix or one of those things that all you kids know how to use, go and have a look for it because it's brilliant stuff. Um, Leicester Tigers have got a win at home at Welford Road this weekend. Cast, the visitors, perhaps a little bit better than we expected when we saw them in action last week. Um, What do you expect from them in this competition?
1: I think the first 10 or 15 minutes in this leicester Cast game will be huge. I think Leicester have the capability of putting them to the sword. They did very well in getting a losing bonus point to to Racing. I think the the offloading game of Rossing really um, really hurt Leicester. They couldn't quite live with it, um, but expect them to to bounce back from that. And the one thing you must do is on um, on the road is pick up something. And um, yeah, you know, with George Ford back in in pretty good form um, with his old um, English. Halfback partner Ben Youngs um, expect them to deliver a big performance when it's needed, and it really wouldn't be the end of the world if after two rounds they had six points, which I envisage they will have. Um, I'm looking
0: at this app called Ultimate Rugby. I don't know if you've heard of it, but they have Treviso down as Treviso. Are they not Bennett in there?
1: Sorry, I'll have a word. To, have a word. Um, have
0: a word. That's a your, disgrace. Your shareholders, <laughs> <laughs> sorry, whoever runs the thing. Um, let's look at Pool Five. Uh, it's the least interesting of pools. Bath, Toulon, Scarlets and Benetton, formerly benetton Treviso). Um, we shouldn't think this is a dull group, but for some reason it is. Scarlets are the team that are playing all the rugby, losing bonus points on the weekend. and We'd love to see them get out of this group.
1: Well, yeah, they, listen, they've shown phenomenal form in the last six or seven months. It's, the question is, can they piggyback on their... Um, Pro twelve success of last year, the manner in which they did it beating two provinces two of the Irish provinces in semifinals and finals, particularly that final in, in Dublin, uh, and to win it by the margin in which they did against Munster was exceptional. And they've shown great form at the start of this season. They've got a host of top-quality players. Um, the Halfpenny kicking goals for them. Um, you know, lots of muscle in the pack. Jake Ball playing very well. Uh, Shingler bossing things in the back row. So I think they've got a really nice balance along with, with Tygburn, um, who's playing a you know, mix of eight and, and second row. I think they, they, they know and have a clear understanding of, as to how to get the most out of, um, out of their players and, and these key individuals. And I think as a result, there's a great chance that they're going to be um, top, of the, top of the pops by the end of round six. Uh, they'd have got a great point against Toulon having gone 18-0 down to fight back. That shows the calibre and the, the mentality of the players. Um, and you would envisage that they'll go on and, and uh, comfortably, comfortably win um, their second round match. Um, this time around against uh, against Bath, albeit you know, they've come off a good victory um, against uh, Treviso. That game is on Friday night and BT Sport 2 and
0: 4K UHD from 7pm and it's interesting in that group, actually, as it develops, becomes more interesting, I guess. Neither of the top two teams on the table at the moment have got themselves a bonus point win, two four-pointers. That could be really significant if Scarlett's managed to get five points out of Bath on
1: Friday night in front of the BT Sport cameras. Absolutely, and I, I think, you know, one thing that, that's worth mentioning you know is that this Benetton team is vastly improved on previous years. Whatever Conor O'Shea has done and the setup that he's uh, instilled within the clubs, uh, the clubs in, in Zebrae and, and, and uh, Benetton, um, they're fitter, they're stronger, and they can upset someone there. I don't know if they're going to upset Toulon, but the two other teams, they'll, they'll have them shaking if they play anything like they started the season with. Um, we're in the library here in Blackrock College, Brian O'Driscoll's former school.
0: Mind as well, but they don't talk about me as much. Here. <laughs> <laughs> Just behind that your man. back. Yeah. <laughs> behind my, back. Oh, my name's scribbled on one of the toilet <laughs> walls somewhere. Um, but one thing you don't do in Blackrock College is speak highly of anyone who went to Ternier College. Uh, the biggest rivals when it comes to Senior Cup rugby here in Leinster. Ternier College, no doubt about it. But Conor O'Shea is a former Ternier College student. What he's doing... In Italian rugby is absolutely fantastic, obviously in charge of the national team, but it seems his influence over the summer has been with Zebra, has been with Treviso, and primarily getting these guys fitter and fitter. We're seeing that now, aren't
1: we? That's half the battle. If you can be fit and you can be in the fight for a full 80 minutes and you can be defensively very solid, you make yourself difficult to beat. And There's no doubt that there's been a big focus on skill level as well and the brand in which they want to play. They realise if they're going to go down, they're going to go down fighting and they're going to go down having fun and expressing themselves. And I've been incredibly impressed with the, with the, with the quality of the performances. But you know, their, their passing, um, their tackle technique, their line speed, all the simple things, which is you know, many of them just attitude based. And you don't have to have any talent um, to have a great attitude. But you marry the two together and it can be a, a pretty tasty concoction. So expect them to continue to improve. And I hope for Connor's sake and for their sake that they're able to continue progressing and, and pick off you know, victories where they'll get a little bit of respect and people will pay more attention to them. I can't believe we're finishing a podcast from Blackrock College speaking positively about
0: a former Senior Cup player from Ternier College. We will never be allowed back in these hallowed halls again. Um, Brian, great talking to you. I'm sure you enjoyed your tour of your old school again. Don't forget all the rugby coming your way on BT Sport this weekend. Claremont against Northampton, 3 p.m. BT Sport 2. Saracens against Ospreys, 7.45 on Saturday night. Of course, we've got Wasps against Harlequins on Sunday, 5 p.m. BT Sport 2 and 4K UHD. On Friday night, it all gets going with Scarlets against Bath, 7 p.m. on BT Sport Sport two, and of course 4K UHD and Saturday as well you can see Benetton against Toulon 3pm on BT Sport Extra 2 so there you go thanks for listening to the Rugby Tonight podcast Martin Bayfield will be back in the studio next week with Ugo Monia and Ben K. make sure you tune in for that and remember to subscribe to the pod so it's delivered straight to your device every single Thursday if you've enjoyed listening please give us a 5 star rating and a nice review if you don't mind on iTunes from all of us here in Dublin take care goodbye